0: Awesome. Well, Harry and the band will be back a little bit later. Grab a seat, make yourself comfortable. As uh, as Lockie and Emma said, my name's Chris. I'm. Uh, whoop. Awesome. That'll. There we go. Yes. Excellent. Um, I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And if uh, if you're new, if this is your first time um, with us here tonight, I want to let you know that it's also my first time um, with us in 2020. Um, so we can kind of. Um, hang out for our first time in a new decade here together. Um, and I wasn't here last week because I was away on holidays. Um, and I don't say that to brag um, that I was on the beach relaxing. Um, but I, 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 uh, I say that to let you know that I actually haven't had an opportunity um, to, to talk about what happened over Christmas. Uh, Because if you were a part of our community for a while, you would have known that leading up to Christmas, we did um, our annual Be Rich campaign, which is where we just raise a whole heap of money for local organisations, and we give it away to them. We give 100% of it away. We don't tell them we're doing it. We raised over $6,000, which was our biggest Be Rich ever. Then as a result... Yeah, that's where the clap... Then um, then in the lead up to Christmas, we hosted um, the Griffin Christmas Block Party in the uh, car park behind us. I don't have the final numbers, but somewhere between 180 and just over 200 people came and were a part of that. And there was a uh, jumping castle and there was face painting. There was a whole heap of awesome stuff uh, going on. Santa came, which was a big deal. Um, so Santa came, so that was cool. And then we had the first ever Christmas Eve in Griffin here um, on Christmas Eve. And we had about 120 people come out to that. And, uh, and I want to say thank you. Um, Because there was a whole lot of leaders, there was a whole heap of people giving up of their time, um, putting in a lot of long hours um, to really make this a place that people can come and experience uh, what it really means to celebrate uh, and what it means to maybe know Jesus uh, in a way that they hadn't before. So I haven't had an opportunity to say thank you, so I wanted to say thank you. And I also wanted to share with you, because as part of our Be Rich campaign, we put together, um, I think about 30 hampers, probably, I, I don't know what the exact number is, maybe a little under, maybe a little over. Um, and our team distributed these 30 hampers throughout our, um, our community. And we have a relationship with a chaplaincy network and so we took a whole heap of hampers uh, to a chaplain in the area. And she, um, she wrote us this email that the team forwarded on to me. And I just wanted to read it um, to you because this is the difference and this is the impact that you're making. The email says this, to the generous community at Griffin, how can I say thanks for the beautiful gifts you've given to our community? To those who are poor in spirit, well-being, in basic resources such as food and in health, I had the honour of delivering these baskets of joy and indulgence late this afternoon. They've gone to the most needy and vulnerable in our community for one family where the grandmother is caring for her granddaughter due to the mother giving her up. She was overwhelmed and called for her partner to come immediately and see what they had received. I could hear the excitement in their voice. The little girl was obviously also very enthusiastic about searching through the many treasures um, in the basket, because these baskets were awesome. Like, they were, like, our team was incredible, Um, and you guys donated so much stuff. Like, these baskets, they they were unreal. Another family who was probably one of the most vulnerable and at risk came out to greet me with hugs, were very excited, and quickly went inside to discover what was hidden inside. They called out aloud, thanks. Another family, who is presently homeless and couch surfing with another family, uh, was so grateful. Life has presented many challenges to this family, with the oldest son needing surgery this year, and many hours spent trying to find a new place to live and call home. I have five more to deliver tomorrow, and then she remembered, but, but I forgot one. Another family, there is a single parent dad and their son, the son being the carer for his dad who has health issues, the joy on the young man's face could have been bottled a smile stretched across his face, the deepest gratitude has come from the receivers of your gifts. And this is what she finishes with, you have made a difference to people's lives, people who have done it tough this year, who can truly feel like someone has got their back and they can experience a little of heaven on earth. Thanks for sharing your resources, your time, your energy, your thoughtfulness to connect with the lives of those in the bay. So I thought you needed to hear that, to hear the difference that you're making in the lives of uh, people and the lives that you are. So thank you for the difference um, that you are making and the privilege that it is to um, to hang out here and uh, and be your pastor. But last week, uh, I wasn't here, but Riley started a brand new uh, conversation, a brand new series um, called The Me That I Want to Be in 2020. And it helps if I turn it on. Um, the me that I want to be in 2020 and he finished uh, he finished this series by asking a question and the question was this uh, who is the me you're pretending to be right we asked you to go away and think about it for seven days and if you weren't here last week you can just think about it real quick who is the me that you're pretending to be and the reason he asked you to go and think about that is because um the, the me you pretend to be is not the me that you were created to be right you right you know this and you experience this in your life when when you put on that mask when things really aren't going well at home, but you pretend that they are at work. Maybe when things at work aren't going really well, that you've got to issue an issue and attention with your coworker, but you pretend that everything's fine. Maybe when you know you're not uh, you're not moving in the direction relationally that you wanted to, and someone asks how's it going, you're like fine. Like we pretend to be, and there's a me that we often pretend to be, but there's a gap, and that gap occurs, and we start, and we, when we, that gap happens, we don't become, and we stop being the me that you were created to be. And so as we continue on this series tonight, um, I've got a question for you. It's it's not a question I want you to answer out loud. Um, I want you to think about it. We're not going to go around the room and be like, your turn and your turn and your turn. Um, I just want you to think about it for yourself. Um, But the question is this, have you ever felt like you just don't measure up? Has there ever been a time in your life where where you felt like this and you thought like, man, yeah, there's a, there's a gap. I, I really don't, I feel inadequate. I'm not sure if I can do this. I really don't feel like I measure up. For me, I, I don't know why when I, when I asked that question, I, I thought, you know, um, that there was one specific instance that came to mind. I don't know why this, this idea um, or this uh, memory came to mind, but it did, and I thought I'd share it with you because um, if you're going to answer this question, I should at least answer it, right? Um, and this time for me, it happened, um, it happened in 2009. And at that point um, in my life, I'd just signed a contract to go and play uh, soccer, or football for those of us who want to be correct, um, soccer, in uh, or football in the United States, at, um, at, in the college uh, system over there. And for me, I kind of saw that as a stepping stone on my way to like, uh, play professional football. That was my stepping stone. And for me, it was something i have been training for for a long, long time. And so I, um, I flew over, and I flew over a week early. And for those of you who aren't really familiar with um, um, the American schooling system, um, their year starts around August. So, their school year starts around August, which means that there's about a two week gap before everyone goes back to school where all the athletes um, who have sports in that kind of upcoming season get there early. Um, and so, that's like that was NFL, that was American football, that was um, men's and women's football, there were some track people there as well. And there's a couple of other sports that come in early. And pretty much for two weeks, all you do is train two to three times a day, you eat, you train, you nap, you train, you eat some more, you train, you sleep for a really long time, you get up, you're stiff, you're sore, and you train some more. And some of you here, you're like, you're um, you're sporty, you're an athlete, and you're like, that sounds like a dream come true. Like, you could literally play professional athlete for a couple of weeks. And for some of you, that's your worst nightmare. You're like, I could not think of anything worse than that. Um, so I got over there a week early to kind of get over the jet lag and the day came, like preseason camp rolled, um, rolled in and uh, if, you're, if you know much about the American school, they, they love to give funny names to all the years over there. So in your first year of university, you're a freshman and then your second year, you're a sophomore and then you're a junior, then you're a senior. And so um, when I went in as a freshman, um, they had a, there was about 10 of us um, coming onto the team as freshmen and so we had like all these introductory screenings and stuff that happened in the morning. So we were just all kind of hanging out with first, uh, first-timers and brand new people to the team, and then in the afternoon of the first day, it always happened, fitness testing occurred. And we walked out and we started to warm up, and as we're warming up, because uh, i would just been hanging out with the freshmen all day, I started to notice some of the other people on the team, and they had muscles where I didn't have muscles. And they had veins where I didn't even know it was possible to have veins, right? Like they were just, and they, were, they looked fit, and I'm starting to look at myself and I'm being like, oh. I don't know if I measure, I don't know if I measure up. And so we went through this like whole bunch of fitness tests and they were pretty good for the most part. Like they kept the freshmen together and they, they let the, the, uh, the older um, guys do theirs because there should be a little bit of a gap, right? Because they've been doing it for a while. Um, but somehow I just got talking to some of the older guys because um, there was me and an English guy on the team. They didn't have many international. So I was just talking to them. And the final test of the afternoon is what's called a 300 yard shuttle test. And it's where they put two cones 25 yards apart and you have to sprint up and back until you get to 300 yards. It's like up and back six times. And uh, once you've done that once, they start the timer and you have five minutes to recover. And then once five minutes is over, you have to do it again. And they time you the second time. And there's not allowed to be a gap in your times. You have to pretty much stay the same time. And then on top of that, you had to get below 55 seconds both times or else you had to get up at 5 a.m. and come to run club and so I was talking to these like the older guys on the team and somehow I don't know how I managed it but I ended up on the start line with them and the coach yells go and we start sprinting and I was like kind of fit like I was going in the fittest at that point in my life that I'd ever been and I start sprinting and I'm feeling good but I'm getting like absolutely tailed up like they are just gapping me and I'm sprinting and I'm sprinting and I, I got through the first lot But straight away, I knew, like, man, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to run in the morning, because that was not below 55 seconds. And then the next time, like, the five-minute gap had happened, and I lined up, and we start, and there's this go, and we start sprinting. And something that you need to know about the part of America I was in is that the average temperature in winter was about negative 20. So um, we didn't have grass fields, because grass dies in that kind of temperature. But we had these synthetic grass fields. Uh, And it was like normal grass, but underneath it, there are these rubber pellets, And so I'm running and I get to this point maybe just past the halfway mark and I'm trying to turn and I'm turning and I slip on these rubber pellets. And these pellets kind of just like start flying up in my face everywhere and it's just like life is going in slow-mo at this phase, at this stage. And I just go bang, face plant into the ground. like, And there are pellets in my mouth, there's one in my nose, it's in my ear. And there's just this coach being like, get up son, run, run. And so I'm like getting up, like running, like running, running, running. I tried to black that time out of my memory, but it was about a minute and a half, so it was, like, terrible. And I just remember afterwards, I'm, like, on the ground, like, there's pellets, like, all down my face. They're, like, in my shirt. They're in my underwear. Like, I'm just, like, I've got that, like, (gasps) like, kind of like the cyborg look must have been with all the pellets down my face. And I'm looking around in that moment, and I'm thinking to myself genuinely, like, did I just travel halfway around the world to embarrass myself? Like, I am clearly out of my depth here. Like, I am clearly out of my depth. And I'm looking around saying, like, man, I I just don't think I measure up. Like, I'm just not at the level that it seems that everyone else is at. Like, there is a huge gap there. And hopefully you didn't have to travel halfway around the other side of the world and get rubber pellets in your underpants to, to feel that. But maybe you felt that, you know, as you're coming out of high school, and you're kind of like, all your friends have sort of figured out what their uni degrees are, or what their trades are, or what they're going to do next, and, and you've really got no idea. And you're kind of making it up, and you kind of look around, and you're kind of like, man, it seems like everyone else has got it together, but, but I just don't feel like I measure up. Maybe relationally, you know, maybe with you, uh, if you're married, for those of you in the room who are married, or with you with a bo- uh, if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe there are times in your relationship when you kind of go, man, do, do I really measure up as a husband? as a wife, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, do, do I really stack up? Do I really measure up as a friend? You know that one annoying friend that just remembers every single birthday without a Facebook reminder? Like, they just like, they're always thoughtful, they're always sensitive, they're like just like the best friend in the world and they make you feel bad about how thoughtful they are. And you have that one friend and every time they do something super kind, it's like, man, I'm a terrible friend. Like, maybe, maybe I just don't measure up. And there's three kind of very general responses when we get to this point when we feel like I just don't measure up. Because we all have um, expectations in life. Some of those expectations we place on ourselves, and some of those expectations other people place on us. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with expectations. Expectations are good, expectations are healthy, but where they become troubling and where it becomes difficult, and where it stops you becoming the me that you want to be in 2020 is when those expectations begin to weigh you down. When the expectations that other people have on you become such a burden that it actually begins to crush you. And when that happens, the expectations of others, there's three kind of responses that we can have. The first response is this, is that we can just please everyone. You know, you know someone like this, and no, no matter what time of the day or night someone calls and they've just got to go. They've got to run. And we just try and meet everyone else's expectations of ourselves. And the problem with this one and trying to please everyone, it sounds nice, it sounds noble, but you miss out because you never ask what your expectations are of yourself. And you get so caught up living up to the expectations of everyone else that you never actually get to see or you never actually get to discover what your expectations are. The second one is this, is is we can please no one. Right, and I'm sure you've maybe heard people say, like, if you don't deserve me at my worst, you don't get me at my best. Like, what a lot of rubbish, okay? I'm sorry, but that's just ridiculous, right? And these people who please no one, like, that, we, that you see it on social media, right? I'm just doing me this year. I don't care what anyone else thinks about you, but I've just got to post it on social so that, I know, so that you know that I know that I don't care that you don't care about me. Right, that was confusing, okay? But they just need to know that no one cares. And you, you don't really like being around these people, If you've known these people because they're selfish because they really don't care about you they really don't care about how your day is going or the challenges that you're going through in life why? because they're not trying to please anyone but themselves their life is wrapped up all around them the other option is this is to please some someone's and this gets tricky because then you have to decide who the someone's are and you have to figure out, well, when am I going to please them and when am I not going to please them? And, and what if someone else comes into my life that's got some expectations that I want to meet and that I, that I want to kind of navigate through with them? Well, how do I decide who gets what parts of me and who gets the most and, and who do I sort of say no to? And this becomes really, really difficult. And you can pick one of these. You know, you can, you can pick to please everyone or pick to please no one or, or pick to please someones. They're not bad options. I just think that there's a better option. And we're actually going to look and we're going to discover what this better option is tonight when we bump up against the expectations that others have of you. And we get this first glimpse into this expectation in the life of Jesus. And um, and Jesus, contrary to popular opinion, wasn't always and didn't always meet the expectations of others. Now, maybe you have the idea that Jesus just kind of went around and kind of like, you get a wish, and you get a wish, and you get a healing, and you get a healing. But Jesus. In fact, more often than not, actually made people annoyed and actually let people's expectations down of Him. And if you're not really sure about like the whole God thing and the whole faith thing, like first of all, we're so glad you're here. Um, we hope you have an awesome time tonight. But here's what I want you to know, is you don't have to believe what we believe about God to, to get what Jesus has to say tonight. In fact, all you have to believe is that Jesus has a little bit of good advice that Jesus has a little bit of good advice that you could apply to your life, and it might make a difference. And, and I wanted to show you the way, one of the ways in which Jesus lets people down, because there were times where people wanted Jesus to be healed, and he said, no, I've got to go to another town. There were times when people, they were like, Jesus, we need you to start a political revolution, and Jesus was like, I, I'm not doing that. There were people who were like, Jesus, you can't die, and then Jesus died. There were lots of times where Jesus let people down, and there's one in particular where he actually let his family down. He, he, um, they, his family had expectations of him, and he let them down, and it's actually recorded in a biography that survived history that we have that was written by a guy called Mark, and this is what Mark writes about Jesus. He says this, he says, when Jesus entered a house, one time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again, right, because this was, this was not uncommon. Wherever Jesus went, a crowd went. So another one showed up, again, and then this happened, soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat, right, Jesus couldn't even text someone to kind of like, couldn't even Uber Eats like um, Maccas over, right, it was was so frantic, there was so much going on, they were so busy, they didn't have time to eat, and when his family heard what was happening, now remember, this is the same family who, just a couple of weeks ago, we would have talked about them at Christmas, this is the family that an angel appeared and said, you're going to have a son, And he's going to do something incredible in the world. This is the family where shepherds showed up when Jesus was born. When wise men traversed uh, years to come and give gifts to this boy. This was a family who right from the get-go knew that their son was going to do something special in the world. And when this family heard what was happening, this was their response they try to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But this is not the response that we're expecting, right? This is, we, what we should really expect is like Mary and Joseph on the sidelines being like, you go get him, kiddo. Like you're doing what you were created to be. That's, that is the me that you were created to be. But instead they were like, no, he's, he's out of his mind. Like we have to do something about this. And what I love and what I find so um, curious is the way in which Mark uses this word, They. Because, you know, when you were growing up and you did something that was kind of silly and you kind of regretted it or maybe you, got, you didn't regret it but you got in trouble and then your parents or your teacher or someone asked you like, why did you do it? And you said, well, they, they made me do it. Well, everyone was doing it so I had to do it. Well, well, they said that if I didn't, then something would happen. And what did your parents do or your teachers do? They'd always say, who's they? And you'd have to like start to, to talk about it. You start to say, well, it was, it was only really one person, they only really said one thing, and it, and it wasn't that big of a deal. And they wanted you to see, hey, it wasn't everyone. It wasn't, it wasn't the whole group. It wasn't a whole they that said it. Maybe there was a couple of people. And, and as we go through life, we actually, um, we actually get better. We still kind of smuggle this they into our lives. We just figure out more socially acceptable ways to do it, right? Because we all have they's in our life. Those groups of people whose expectations we live up to, and some of you, you, you you might come home late, and you're like, oh look, I'm so I'm so sorry, but my boss, my boss made me stay late. Oh look, look, mom, look, look, dad, look, look I know, like I know that I said that I would help, but look, my boyfriend and my girlfriend, that they really need me, they really need me. Or well, there's something going on at work, and it's like, oh look, you know, normally I wouldn't say that, normally I wouldn't uh, like uh, talk to a customer that way, but but my coworker, oh my goodness, she was grading on me so much, I just had to do something about it. Right, I just had to, I, you know, I'm so sorry that it came out that way, but they made me do it. And we just start giving different names and more socially acceptable terms to this group of people in our lives. And what Jesus kind of begins to illustrate and begins to demonstrate in this, um, in this way that he kind of shows us, that he goes against some of the expectations that people have, is, is this, that you weren't actually born to please everyone or just yourself. You weren't born to please everyone, but you also weren't born to um, please just yourself. There's another option. There's a middle ground. In fact, there is a me that you were designed to be. And the reason that we're talking about the expectations of others tonight is because every time you take someone else's expectations onto yourself, every time you start saying, you know what, I'm going to take that expectation, I'm going to hold myself to that, I'm going to start to live that way, what happens is you begin to design your life around the expectations that someone else has for you. And when you begin to do that, you begin to move away from the design that maybe God has for your life. Or if you don't believe in God, that the design that you created for your life. And if there's a me that you were designed to be, the natural question for us to ask is simply this, like, how do we discover that? Like, like, how do we get to that point, right? How do we discover the me that we were designed to be? And the good news is, like, this, like, no one looks at this question and is like, wow, I've never thought of that question before. Like, no one looks at that and is like, brand new. Why? Because it's a question that all of us ask. It's a question that people have asked since, since people existed. And there was a group, um, uh, in fact, a church, very similar to this one, in a city called Ephesus. And a guy, his name was Paul, he came a long time after Jesus, he actually used to hate Jesus until he became a Jesus follower himself. Um, He actually started this church and he writes a letter to them and in this letter he answers this question and he answers it this way, he goes, here's what you need to know, you need to know for we are God's, and and if you have issue with the idea that there's a creator, hold on, we'll get to that, for we are God's masterpiece and this word masterpiece, it could be better understood as like worksmanship, craftsmanship, design. What Paul is trying to say here and trying to communicate is that that the same God that crafted the polar ice caps, the same God that designed the Milky Way galaxy, the same God that designed the Amazon jungle and the Nile River, the same God that brought the universe into existence out of nothing, crafted and created you. And when he did it, he wasn't on autopilot. When he did it, he was thinking. When he did it, he was doing it with a purpose. And Paul goes on and he actually says this. He says, he has created us anew in Christ, Jesus, so we can do the good things. Like God had a plan for you that he planned, that he thought about, that he knew for us long ago. That God was actually creating you and he had a plan and he had a thought and he had a purpose for you long before that. And and here's what I would say if, if you're, like, looking at this and you're kind of, like, resisting because you're not, like, really sure about God, right? Because there's kind of that narrative a little bit in our culture that sort of says, like, you create your own destiny. You become who you want to become. Like, you speak it and you believe it enough and it'll, it'll just come into existence. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. And, and here's, I just, I just want you to think about it, right? You don't have to agree with me, we, but I just, just think about this. Like, if that's true, why are personality tests so interesting? If that's true that you create your own destiny and you create who you want to become, why do you discover new stuff about yourself when you take a personality test? Because if you're designing your own life, there shouldn't be anything about you that you don't know. You're creating it. You're designing it. It shouldn't surprise you. At the very least, personality tests should be utterly boring. But yet, for so many of us, we kind of... Say, like, I, ju- I just can't figure myself out. Like, I'd love to be able to figure myself out. I'd love to know why I say those things and why I do those things and why I react that way in that situation. And for so many of us, that this whole purpose thing almost seems to elude us. And what Paul is saying here is that you were actually created on purpose for a purpose. And if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps one of the The real challenges that you have or the questions you ask is you say, well, well, God, what's my purpose? God, what's my purpose? And and you struggle to answer it. And you have difficulty finding out what your purpose is. And one of the reasons that that I believe, for for those of us who are followers of Jesus who ask this question, why it's so difficult for us to figure that out, is because we treat God like an answer key. We think, hey, if I can just say the right prayer or figure it out, then God will unlock the purpose to my life. That God will just tell me every decision that I need to make, every path that I need to get, take on, so that there's no risk. So that at the end of the day, it's not actually my life, but God's kind of like just moving me around a chessboard, figuring it out for me. And we think like if, God, if I could just get God to fit this answer key for my life and tell me what my purpose is, everything would be sorted. But here's the problem with that. And here's the challenge for us, is, is that when we talk about purpose in our lives, when we say, hey, who is the me that I want to be? Oftentimes the way we answer that is we say, well, you know, you know what, I, I really want a particular type of job. And I really want a particular type of income. And I really want to have a particular type of friendship group. And I really want to have a particular partner. and ma- Maybe I really want to have a particular car and a particular house and a particular suburb with a pool and a particular number of kids. And what we start to do is when we talk about purpose, we talk about it all in terms of accomplishments, all in terms of the things that we can acquire to get people to look at us and say, look how good I've done. Look at the me that I wanted to be. I'm doing it. But the challenge is that God is more concerned with the person you become than the things that you accomplish. God is always going to be more concerned with the person that you become. God is not not impressed, and He's not impressed when you say, hey, look at all the money I've raised, look at the house I live in, look at the car I drive, look at the job I have, look at the friends I have. God's not looking at that and being like, that's bad. That's not what I'm saying. But God's not looking at that and kind of going, that's the most important thing, what you accomplish. God is looking at it and saying, that's nice, that's cool, but what's more important is who you become. Are you becoming more like me? Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more caring? Are you becoming more forgiving, more generous? Or are you becoming more self-centered, more cynical, more all about you? And, whoops, I'll go back, because I've got a full Monday for us. In fact, I've got two for us. Because I really want us to kind of know where the rubber meets the road on this. Because whether you believe in God or not, I actually want you to figure out the person that you become or that you are becoming. Not just this year, but for the rest of your life. And so, the first Four Monday application I have is for those of you who wouldn't consider yourself Christians, and the second one is for those of you who would. So, the first one is, I want you to ask this week, if you're not a Jesus follower, I want you to ask, who is the me I want to become? And I don't want you to answer, okay, you're not allowed to answer in things like, you're not allowed to answer with accomplishments, don't talk about your car, don't talk about how much money you're going to make, don't talk about how many people are going to listen to your vlog and how you're going to be a big entrepreneur. Like, Don't tell me that stuff. What I want you to do is write down who is, it, who is the me that you want to become. And to kind of get you thinking, I thought, I thought I'd share with you one of the, one of the things that I want to become in my life. Um, I actually stole this wording from someone else because it sounded cool and it was better than the way I'd written it, but, but one of the things that I want to become in my life, just to kind of help you thinking, is, is I want those closest to me to be the ones most grateful for me. But I am hyper-aware, and if you've resisted church, if you're, like, pushed back against church, potentially one of the reasons that you resist is because of people like me. Because people like me get up on stage, and they say one thing, and then they go and do another. And it gets found out that they were alcoholics, or they were embezzling money, or there was a whole heap of other stuff going on. And you look in on that, and you kind of go, well, they're hypocrites, because their public life says one thing, but their private life says another. And I don't want that for my story. I don't want that to be the story that I tell. I don't want my wife, I don't want my family, I don't want my best friends saying, you know what, he can, he can talk up on stage, but then he comes off and he's a completely different person. Like We don't actually really like him that much. In fact, I want the people closest to me in my life to be the people who are most grateful for me. To be the ones who say, hey, you know what, he's got his flaws, okay, right. They know it better than anyone else. But when he talks in front of a group of people, when he meets someone that he doesn't know, people get the real him. They don't get a, a public life and then we get a private life. His public life is just an extension of who he is when we're hanging out, watching the cricket, getting upset at the Heat Lose again. And for those of you, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, here's the question I want, to ask, I want you to ask this week. Who is the me God wants me to become? Who is the me that God has in store? And this is actually not a really difficult question to answer. In fact, if you you want to figure out, and if you're kind of not sure about how to answer it, just go to the biographies that we have on Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look at every single time Jesus says the word, people will know that you're one of my followers if you do, and then take note. And for a lot of you in the room, like you probably know right now, like you know the me that God wants you to become you know those areas you need to work on. But it's not enough to know about them. You've got to begin to do something about it. And so here's what I want you to do this week. Just make a list, answer that first question, answer that second question, and just see that list in front of you. The me that you want to become or the me that God wants you to become. And I know that when you start to see it, right, because I know that you guys are all super high achievers and this stuff will get you really excited. I know that you're going to ask a question next, right? The question that you'll ask is, how do I become that me? Like, how do I go about doing that? We'll come back next week, because Riley's gonna wrap this series up and he's gonna give you some really, really uber practical ways that you can begin to become the me that you were created to be. But but in the meantime, if you're like Chris, I, I need more, I need one thing that I can do this week. Here's what I want you to do. Once you've got that list, I want you to do first and in the process become. Because there will be a tendency and you'll look at your list. And it might be more forgiving, more loving, more generous, less irritable. And you're going to look at that and you're kind of going like, ah, oh, it's pretty difficult. Like, like how, do, how do I become less irritable? How do I become more forgiving? Like, I'm just not a forgiving person, right? Like, I, oh, I don't know how I do that. How do I become more generous? I don't feel generous. How do I do that? Well, the reality is, is that kind people weren't born kind. They did kind things, and in the process, they became known as a kind person. Forgiving people just didn't walk around forgiving everyone, they had to do first, they had to take that step and forgive when they didn't feel like it, when it was difficult, when it was hard and in the process they became someone who is known and characterized by forgiveness and the same with generous people, no one's born generous but people began to give away what they had first and in the process they became. So my hope for you is that you would begin to become the me that you were created to be. That you would begin this year to become the me that God created you to be. But God is more concerned with who you become than what you accomplish. And if you want to do it, you're going to have to do first, and in the process, you will become. I'd love to pray for us. Jesus, that can be so difficult. It sounds so easy. It sounds so nice. Do first, but in the process, become. But, but when the rubber hits the road, it can be difficult and it can be really challenging. And if we're really honest, we can just not want to do it. But I pray that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the courage not to be a group of people that are just content to look back on our, back on our lives and talk about the things that we accomplished, but that we would want to be a group of people A community of people that looks back and say, hey, look at the person I became throughout my life. Look at the way in which God worked in my life. And look at how He transformed me from the inside out into the person that I am today. And I pray that we would take that first step this week. In Jesus' name, amen.